James Harden for three. Oh, he's got it. James Harden with a big three-pointer. Brooklyn, for the first time tonight, is on top. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Wednesday morning, folks. It's hump day and I'm here to help you get over the hump. We're going to cover all the NBA action from Tuesday night on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mo Dekeel. With me is Jared Weiss. Yep, we're the same team that comes on Monday morning, but we flipped it around. I'm driving this time, Jared. I got control of the car. I got the keys and we're going forward. But don't worry, Andrew Schleck's going to make sure I don't screw too much up. Don't miss exclusive coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash daily thing. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $3.99 a month. I spent more on my coffee this morning than that. Coming up on today's show, the Raptors feast on venison. Jovan Buha stops to talk about Lakers and AD. But first, the Nets set the suns. I don't know if that phrase worked, but I decided to go with it. Nets 128, Suns 124 in Phoenix. Suns came into this game, Jared, with a six-game win streak. They were rolling. They were looking tight. They had wins over the Bucks, over Philly, feeling pretty good about themselves. No KD tonight, still out with a hamstring injury. Kyrie Irving out with a back spasm today. It was kind of a leg scratch. And Jared, like the Suns were rolling. They were up big. I think they were up as much as by 20 in the first half. Looked like this thing was going to be a blowout. But the Nets came back, and it started with their defense. They were extremely tough in the second half. I think they allowed only 49 points for the Suns in the second half, started switching, and were really just doing a great job down the stretch. And look, this thing was still, looked like the Suns were still going to walk away with this. Suns were up eight with 238 left. Chris Ball had just hit a big three, and then the Nets rip off a 12-0 run. Green hits a three off a Harden pass. Then Harden hits a two. The Nets get a call flipped off of a coach's challenge. Green then blows by DeAndre Ayton for a layup. We're going to get more on Ayton's defense in a minute. Bridges then misses a three on the other end. Harden hits a step back three to put the Nets up by two. Booker has a chance to tie it. Misses a shot in the post against Shamit. Nets hit the free throws. And they go home a victor, man. Jared, what would you see in this one? I mean, just the last couple minutes there, getting the Rockets East going with James Harden and Jeff Green taking over. You know, the th- I mean, you mentioned Aiton's defense. How about James just putting him on skates, trying to defend him in the pick and roll to get to the lane with, I th- get to the rim with about a minute and a half left, and then Jeff Green running the pick and roll and attacking the lane on the next play, and then Harden doing it on the next play. I mean, it was unbelievable just watching these guys over and over taking turns getting to the rim, playing off each other, and I mean that was the thing that really excited me about when Harden came to Brooklyn was the fit that he could have with James uh, with Jeff Green. And too many J's, I can't keep them straight. But Jeff Green is just such a good fit with this team when he's really playing well and he's shooting well. This was just such a good game for him and a great finish for them to be able to finish small like this up against a team with DeAndre Aiden, I thought was really impressive. Uh, but it's it's incredible to, to do this against a pretty much full-strength Phoenix team with both Durant and Kyrie cheering on the sidelines. It just shows this is why you make those trades, right? It's because you got a guy like Harden, he can carry you on those nights when the rest of the big three's out. And I'm glad you brought up those guys on the sidelines because it wasn't like they were just passive spectators tonight. Like It felt like they were fully involved in this game. Both Kyrie and KD were involved, cheering up and down, jumping up and down. You saw their reaction when 
Harden hits the three, you know, Kyrie and KD are on the opposite baseline watching it, and KD shoves Kyrie into the uh, basketball stanchion. You know, got to be careful there. Let's not hurt anybody in this situation. But uh, <laughs> let's get you back on the floor at some point, please. <laughs> but they, but but you know what it was? This really felt like a, a big team win, despite those guys not being there. And look, I'm hard on the Nets, and I'm gonna be all year. Yeah, uh, you know, and and, and I'm going to nitpick on things like that cuz this you is have a team to. this is a team that's going to be a championship caliber team and that's the point where we're at where we we, we got to kind of look at every little piece for them. But this was a good like team building win it felt like for me. Oh, absolutely. This is a game where right they're missing their you could argue two of their or two of their three best players, right? And they shot 57% from the field. Like everybody in the rotation had a really good game. They went with essentially an eight and a half man rotation. You had Green, TLC, and Shamit as the main bench guys. Everybody shot really well. I thought they played good defense all around. And then Joe Harris, he has to step up and have a big night. He goes eight for thirteen from the field. Even Tyler Johnson, I mean, I can't believe Tyler Johnson had 17 points. In 2021, I almost said 2020. It's not even 2020. It's 2021. And he was a good two-way player in this game against a really difficult assignment. So it was really it was really great to see that the rest of this Nets team can step up. Obviously, let's see it happen when everybody's out there on the floor together. If that happens, this could be the best team in the NBA. Uh, but we did see, I think, that it's pretty clear that they can they definitely can run a spread offense around a great isolation or pick and roll player. So I guess the question is now that we see that this is work, that this can work really well when they're able to just run everything around one of their stars, how do they continue to keep those principles going while having all the other stars out there on the floor all right, and playing let's, defense? Let's flip it to the other side. Let's go to the Phoenix Suns. Because this has got to be a really disappointing loss for them. You know, you're up 24 in the first half. You're feeling really confident. You're rolling. You know, this thing hurts. You know, you blow this game, and it's like, what the hell? Like, this should have been a win. No KD, no Kyrie. Like, we're at full strength. We should have came away with the win. What did you see on their end? Like, what was the things that really stood out to you? I mean, I don't know if this was necessarily the fundamental issue of the game, uh, but Aiton got targeted in switches at the end for Harden to go isolation over and over, and he was so bad defending Harden. I mean, he was just way too upright in his stance. Harden would just attack attack the body, and he like spun by him so easily. I think it was three, maybe four straight possessions at the end of the game, pretty much every single one. I think it was four straight possessions where... Aiton just got killed every time by Harden. And then, and then, of course, there was that Jeff Green one with a minute left to put them down by one. I, I just I couldn't believe that Aiton was looking that bad in those defensive situations because I really expect him to really thrive in those situations, I guess, when he hits his peak eventually. Uh, but obviously, this Phoenix team is going to be hamstrung if their center isn't able to defend out in space. That's like what they really need, especially because they're a relatively small defensive team besides that. You know, the, the, the funny thing was, it was earlier than that for me when I was like, oh, Phoenix might be in trouble. What was happening was they were switching, the Nets were switching the pick and roll, and it would end up having DeAndre Jordan on Devin Booker. And I'm like, oh, Booker should be able to cook in this time. And instead, he's trying to post up Dario Saric on, you know, TLC, on Timothy Luau Cabaret. And I'm so proud of myself for saying it correctly on the first try. You know, but at that point, you're, I'm just looking at going like, yo, 
you got DeAndre Jordan on you, Booker. You got to go. You got to go attack that. That's the mismatch. Not Sarge versus TLC. You you have the fundamental advantage, supposedly. And Booker wasn't very good tonight. 9 of 20 from the field. Scored 22 points. 0 for 4 from 3. I mean, that was a big thing for me. And then, like you said, just Aiton's defense down the stretch was really, really a struggle for the Suns. And you know what? It, it wasn't only that. In the fourth quarter, their transition defense was terrible, too. They kept getting cross matches, and they weren't communicating properly, and they kept leaving three-point shooters wide open. We saw Shamit hit a three that kind of helped them come back. Uh, Johnson hit one. A lot of the guys that like you should be like very acutely aware of where they are coming down the floor, and the positioning was completely off. And even Aiton, I think the Aiton turnstile thing was starting really earlier in the fourth quarter. It probably was a huge part of the downfall. And I should say, at least credit to Aiden, he did have a couple baskets kind of right when Brooklyn came all the way back there to help kind of stem the tide. And obviously, CP3 had some really great games, uh, plays in crunch time as well. So this wasn't a bad offensive game for Phoenix. It was just that, like, their defense was just so bad, both in the half court and in transition. Yeah, I mean, look, they held the Nets to 22 points in the first quarter. But after that, they gave up 32, 34 and 40 points. You're not going to win a game when you do that. It's That's, it's, not, that's not very good. Yeah, that's, it, it's just that simple. James Harden finished with 38 points, 11 assists, 14 of 22 from the field. Joe Harris, like you mentioned, 22 points, 8 of 13 from the field, 4 of 9 from 3. You know, I want to give a little shout-out to Landry Shamit. He was struggling shooting for so long, but it looks like it's beginning to come together now. 13 points off the bench, 3 of 6 shooting from 3. Chris Paul led the Suns with 29 points, 12 of 20 from the field. Like I said, Booker with 20 points, 9 of 20. DeAndre Ayton with 16 points, 9 rebounds, which is not really enough for the Suns. Then our next game, the Raptors 124, the Bucks 113 in Milwaukee. The Bucks are now on a four-game losing streak. All since Drew Holiday's been out during the COVID protocols. They haven't had him for a few games, and they've dropped pretty much every game since. The Raptors were able to snap their small two-game losing streak. This one was interesting from the start, Jared, just because the Raptors started small. They put Baines on the bench, and I thought, oh, okay, then they're going to start Boucher. No, no. They started OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, Kyle Lowry, and Fred Van Vliet. I mean, that was pretty interesting in that sense. It was a pretty tight game. It was 112-109 with 5.36 left, and then the Raptors just go on a 12-4 run to just kind of rip this game open. What'd you spot in this one? I, I'm gonna, I want to just make sure I get my random take out of the way here. This, is, this might be a little hot, but OG Ananobi had a few plays in this game with the ball in his hands where he looked eerily similar to Kawhi Leonard. Just the from the mechanics to the style to the athleticism to the build, everything about him looked very Kawhi-ish. And I thought he had a really nice game. I really loved what he was doing. Uh, Chris Middleton was a ghost in this one. I'll give him a lot of credit for that one. But obviously the story of this game is the fact that Milwaukee got pretty much like a the textbook Giannis game. And Toronto was able to overwhelm and beat that. And... A huge part of it is that I mean Van Vliet really carried them through this game, which was important because Kyle Lowry got hurt early in the third quarter. And then Siakam, who was a little messy in this game, he was just making plays all over the place here in crunch time and was really the guy that I think gets the most of the credit for them really running away with it at the end. Yeah, so let's kind of just stick with the Raptors here for a second. 
they've struggled so much to start the season. They're, they've been really like, every time it looks like they're going to turn the corner, they drop a couple of games. What's your take on them? Can you know they're they're right now in like I think the ninth or eighth seed. They're somewhere in that playing tournament range. What what do you see from the Raptors going forward? I think they're just kind of getting warmed up. I, I really do. I I, th- I think a big thing that was exciting about this game was them starting small, and I I think we probably would have seen them finish small uh, if it weren't for Lowry getting hurt, uh, but. They need to find a way to really put Siakam into some advantageous positions because he's just not creating scoring for himself in the way that he was, frankly, the first half of last season. And once they unlock that, that just opens up so many doors for them, especially because OG, I think, is taking another step forward in his ability to create and score. So I think this team is just going to get better and better as the season goes on. And I think what was great was we did see that they were able to not be so hyper aggressive and loading up to the ball on defense and still be able to have a solid defensive game. And that's something that they, they, you know, a lot of the time they'll just load up to the ball so much that they get kind of put into rotation and then teams are able to pick them apart. And they were able to survive that for the most part and not have to get too aggressive in this game. Yeah, no, it was really interesting in that sense. And and I'm going to be very interested to see how they go going forward with this lineup, you know, Aaron Baines has really struggled this year for them. It hasn't been a, a great season for him on that end. And overall, like, if if they're going to go small, let's see what it goes. I mean, this isn't a team you would go small against. When you look at Milwaukee, you're not like, oh, we can go small this game. We'll be fine. <laughs> they're starting Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez. And you think, oh, we'll go small. We'll figure it out. But it was working in that, you know, they, they were, I don't know if they were actually in zone, but they were kind of setting themselves up in that, you know, that kind of like what looks like a 3-2 zone where you just have three guys standing around the three throw right. line to kind of load up and protect your, have that safety net to catch Giannis when he tries to break through. And credit to Giannis, especially in the first half, he was really getting down the seams and getting to the, the rim over and over and over. And they really started to cut that off in the second half when they kind of sunk in that defense more. Uh, but with Brooke Lopez, you know, because Brooke Lopez isn't really a hard roller that much and he isn't posting up that much, you can kind of get away with being a little bit small because he isn't going to be near the basket a ton on offense. So I, I love the way that they, you know, we know that Nick Nurse is going to be the kind of guy to fight fire with fire. And it worked really well in this night. And obviously we know that this is a team that they're flexible enough and they're hardworking enough that they can take that gamble on a nightly basis. And when they're at, they're at their best, it works enough that they can be a really good team. Yeah. And let's go to the bucks here real quickly. You said it. Giannis had a great game, but the bucks fall again. This is their fourth loss. Their last loss was to Andrew Schleck's Oklahoma city thunder. That's how I refer to the thunder from now on, Jared. It's, it's Andrew Schleck's team. That's uh, our official name on this program. That, that, that's, that's how I view it. Uh, but you know, they dropped these bad games and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like you said it, Chris Middleton was kind of a ghost in this one. I felt like he needed to be more involved in the offense. I think the bucks are experimenting and doing things here and, and the, it, it looks bad at times, but I think if you're allowing Middleton to explore more on offense and, and kind of as a playmaker, I just did a video on it the other day about his improved playmaking. I think it gives the bucks another level, but you know, this was kind of a, a, a typical, Bucks game from last season that we saw where Giannis goes off and just unfortunately the the other side what the the co-stars weren't really killing it tonight 
uh, Giannis had said even after the game, I kind of feel everybody on Twitter or social media, in quotes, this is from uh, Eric Neem from The Athletic, is in panic mode, and that should not be the case. So let me ask you, man, you panicking about the Bucks? No, no. I mean, it's a little concerning when Giannis doesn't score in the last six minutes of the game, especially in a game where he's been dominating. Uh, I, I'm not worried about them. I was a little frustrated that they were in drop coverage against Fred Van Vliet going off in this game, and they weren't really adjusting. They weren't getting the big man up closer. You know, they weren't trying to take, you know, really pressure him well. They were still doing the same thing that they always do. And that's frustrating. That's the only thing that I think really bothers me about this Bucks team. It's just that they're not versatile enough and they don't adjust enough and they're and they're pick and roll coverages. And we saw how that killed them in the playoffs last year. So I'm waiting for this team to be able to really just become a little bit more versatile and a little bit more pliable. And I mean, that starts with the coach, right? I mean, a team, a, the players might just like miss shots or like not know what to do, but like the defensive scheme that you're running, that's the coach telling you which scheme you're supposed to be in. And these guys, they got to have a little bit more flexibility if they're going to be the contenders that we know that they're capable of being. Yeah, and I think they're playing with things. I've seen them play some games where they've switched a little bit and and doing a little bit differently. I've seen them attack differently on offense, so more and more. So I think they're they're an experimental kind of mode in this situation. And here, I'm going to do the Bucks fans a favor. You don't need to panic. Right now, you're third in the West. I mean, excuse me. It'd be really weird if you're in the West. You're third in the East. <laughs> okay, you're it, it, no reason to really panic. It's not like you're you're under 500 in this situation it's it's they're trying to figure things out you'd rather them get all these questions answered now so that there's not any surprises come playoff time because it was the other way around the past two seasons you've been dominant in the regular season and been you know just sort of falling out of the playoffs with a whimper the past two years so let this one kind of just sit let them adjust and they see how they progress moving forward and, and just a quick caveat, I, I should say they had Bryn Forbes starting for Drew Holiday in this game, so that's a huge part of what I'm talking about in the defense, and that's that's just a lineup issue. You know, obviously when you get Drew back out there, that changes so much of what your defense is able to do. So I, I, I am excited to see how they evolve this defense, and we knew that stuff like this was going to happen this year because these teams barely had a training camp and they barely have practices, so it's going to take a long time to kind of slowly reform things, but. Uh, this is why they traded for Holiday, right? They wanted their defense to be more versatile. They wanted their defense to be able to evolve over a nightly basis and throughout the playoffs. So I, I'm confident they're going to at least get there enough that it's going to be exciting in the playoffs. Yeah, so we don't need the deer in the headlights look. <laughs> Fred Van Vliet finished with 33 points and 7 assists. Pascal Siakam put up 23 points and 13 rebounds. Before leaving the game, Lowry was rolling. He had 18 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. For the Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo led all scorers with 34 points, had 10 rebounds and 8 assists to go with that. Middleton, again, really struggled in this one, only scoring 11 points, only got 8 shots. They did get a nice game from Pat Connaughton, though, off the bench with a nice little 20-piece, so... Maybe they can build off that. Now on to the news. The Wolves announced D'Angelo Russell will be getting arthroscopic surgery in his left knee and will be out four to six weeks. 
Keisha Lance Bottoms, Atlanta mayor, has some concerns about the All-Star game and says people should not travel to Atlanta to party. She has shared her concerns with the NBA and the Hawks. Should be a TV event only. So folks, if you were planning, and I really hope you weren't, going to Atlanta for the All-Star game, maybe reconsider that idea. The Texas weather has forced the Mavs to postpone their games with the Pistons on Wednesday night. Just a bit chaotic with everything that's going on. No reason to put on a basketball game. The Spurs had four people test positive for COVID, so they had to postpone their next few games, including a game on Tuesday night. So they're going to be on a little bit of a break. And before we get to the other games, Jared had a chance to talk to Jovan Buha about the latest news on Anthony Davis's injuries and what the Lakers are going to do about it. We are talking to Lakers beat writer for the athletic and host of the forum club, Jovan Buha, who has a couple stories out about the Anthony Davis leg injury saga. So first off, what is actually going on with the diagnosis? Yeah. So the, the Lakers have, characterized it as a sore right calf after originally uh, calling it a sore right Achilles and then a, a, a right Achilles strain. Um, so it, it's it's taken on multiple iterations uh, throughout this process. Uh, but essentially, you know, AD has a, a sore calf, the, the sheath area around the tendon of the Achilles. Um, I've learned a lot about Achilles, let me, let me tell you, in the last 72 hours. Uh, I feel like- Oh, I'm, I love a good sheath that. story. I feel like I'm in med school right now, but um, essentially, uh, you know that that area around it is is just sore and and just dis, you know in discomfort. Uh, now the interesting thing is, um, you know, I, I spoke with uh, Dr. Rajpal Brar, uh, who it, it works uh, at Three CB Performance. You can find him on Twitter, uh, but he's a physical therapist, sports scientist, and his expertise is lower body treatment and dealing with those types of of injuries. Um, so. He was saying that you know that there is a difference uh, between tendinosis, which was the original uh, you know injury that the Lakers labeled for, for AD, versus uh, the inflammation and irritation in that area, and that the, the severity of it you know really matters because tendinosis is a degenerative uh, condition, and um, you know it does vary in, in severity. So um, you know he could have a, a very mild form of tendinosis in his right Achilles. Uh, but if he does, you know, that is something that could potentially linger and be a recurring issue for him, uh, you know, not just this season, but, you know, moving forward throughout the rest of his career. Whereas if it is just a, a sore right calf or a, a sore, uh, you know, tendon sheath and just kind of that area, you know, under the calf, uh, that is something that can be managed. That is something that he just needs to rest and recover and rehab through, which is, you know, why it looks like he's going to miss the next three weeks or so through the rest of the all-star break. So we don't know officially, you know, the, the, I guess the, the actual diagnosis, we just know what the team has listed, but they've listed, you know, different iterations of it. So, you know, it's kind of conflicting. Even some of AD's comments have been conflicting, you know, after Friday, he said he needed to rest uh, on Sunday after he re-injured it, he said he didn't need to rest and that he was clear to go. So there's a lot of, you know, different information out there, but um, ultimately whether he has tendinosis or not is going to be a really big thing for the Lakers, you know, not just this season, but moving forward, you know, after re-signing AD to a five-year deal. 
I mean, it's AD, right? You got to, it doesn't matter how long a contract's on. No, your franchise yeah, rests sure. on them. And it's funny. We were reading a tweet of yours uh, from after, I think it was the Memphis game last week on the show. And he was talking pretty badass about, like, you can't hold me back. I'm going to play through the pain. I'm going to do whatever I can to be out there for my team. And that's great and admirable until, you know, you have to limp off the court because you bump knees and then suddenly your leg, the back of your leg is a problem. So what what is the messaging now that I think he kind of very quickly uh, realized he can't just be as brash about this as he wants to be? Well, to, to, to your point, I mean, the, I have the direct quote here. Um, it could go away, obviously, with rest and things like that, but I'm not trying to rest. <laughs> so, I mean. Hey, I'm like, not trying he, to rest either. I mean, you got to get like, gotta, gotta He, he kind of spelled on. it out after Friday's game, which was, I was like, when I, I did a double take when, when I heard that, because I was like, if you can rest and improve the injury, I just don't see why you wouldn't, especially when, you know, he, he is relatively brittle he, he you know if you look at his career he's missed a lot of games and um you know I actually kind of feel bad for him because he he went into that a little bit on Sunday of saying he puts pressure on himself to try to play through injury because of that injury prone label and, and that he doesn't want to be remembered as a guy who missed a bunch of games and was always nicked up and, and you know doesn't want that kind of you know perception around him but you know by not resting in, in what could have ended up being just hey let me sit out a few games and come back, you know, at the end of next week, maybe for the Brooklyn game, you know, ended up being, he, he might've returned to early and you know, actually re-aggravated it and made it worse. Uh, and now we'll be out for about, about a month. So yeah, I mean, I, I th- that quote just kind of shocked me. Um, but I, I think moving forward, what he said is, is he wants to up his, his uh, treatment. Like he was getting treatment three times a day. He was saying he might up that to five times a day. And the Lakers just want to be extra cautious with this. You know, they're 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 not winning the the championship in February. They're not winning the championship in March. That that has to be in, in June and July. So for them, you know, as the defending champs, they can afford to be the three seed, the four seed, the five seed. Like the Lakers feel confident about matching up with anybody in the West or anybody in the league rather in a playoff series. So seeding doesn't matter for them. It's all about LeBron and AD being healthy come playoff time. And um, you know, obviously this is kind of their first test of the season. But I think moving forward, you're going to see a very cautious approach with how they handle AD and potentially LeBron if he ends up getting nicked up at any point. Oh, God. Protect LeBron at all costs. I Seriously. mean, <laughs> let, let, let's make this clear because, you know, we, we just had that uh, that really interesting diatribe that uh, that Draymond went on. I shouldn't say diatribe. It was a good it was a good monologue um, about, you know, the pressure that these players get put under. So. We since the media gets blamed. Let's make it clear on the Athletics Morning Show as the media. I don't like AD. I just want you to be healthy and out there playing. Like, don't worry about the injury prone label. Like, just be healthy and play and go win. That's all that anybody cares about. Who cares about injury prone, especially like this year? This Mm -hmm. is the year where people are taking days off all the time. People are doing it for load management. People are doing it just to recover uh, because, uh, you know, because like they had COVID or whatever. It's like this is the one year where I feel like resting a couple games would just fly so far under the radar that it would never even impact your Q rating. Yeah, it, it feels like more stars than ever are load managing, right? Like, you know, I think if, if we went roster by roster, that there's probably, what, five, five to ten guys in the league doing that right now, at least? Uh 
I mean, I, I thought I thought it was more like fifty to hundred guys that are doing that I mean, right maybe, now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I covered the Celtics and Kemba Walker certainly has been load managing <laughs> like crazy. So yeah, like that's that's how it is. Like the KD's, I mean, uh, AD and KD both have to take care of themselves. I mean, that's uh, obviously what everyone wants to see. And when you see an injury change in diagnosis from Achilles to leg the way it has here, it's like you know that there's some fishy stuff going on. But thankfully. We've got Jovan on the case. We also have our other Lakers writer, Bill Orem, all over it. So be sure to check out what they are writing at The Athletic. Be sure to check out the Forum Club podcast when you're done listening to this as well. Thank you, as always, Jovan. Appreciate it, man. Great stuff there. Speaking of the Lakers, they played last night. Lakers 112, Wolves 104 in Minnesota. Wolves kept this close, Jared. They were a little bit frisky, kept it kind of tight, but the Lakers ran off seven straight points down the stretch to put the game away. LeBron led all scorers with 30 points, 13 rebounds, and seven assists. Dennis Schroeder added 24 points. And rookie Anthony Edwards, we don't talk about him as much as we do, LaMelo Ball and everybody else, but he had a strong game, finishing with 28 points, seven rebounds, and five assists. Pelicans faced off against the Grizzlies, and man, did they blow them out. The Pelicans outscored the Grizzlies in the second half, 81-55, on their way to the 144-113 victory. And this was the battle of the two top picks from the 2018 draft. Zion was awesome and just unstoppable in this one. He had 31 points. 13 to 16 shooting. Morant was very impressive himself. 28 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. He even had a dunk, Jared, that had Zion kind of eyes perk up on the sidelines. I mean, the explosiveness in this game was mortifying. And the fact that Zion and Ja almost had identical uh, shooting performances, 12 for 16 for Ja, 13 for 16 from Zion, that was great. But, I mean, this was Zion just going steamroller late in the second half. And it was funny because this was a contending game. This was a close game up until like the late third quarter. And then all of a sudden, boom, Zion's driving and kicking the Josh Hart who had a career night. He had 27 on the night. And it was just like, we were finally seeing that Pelicans offense finally had their supernova that we were waiting for this year. Got a quick, quick question. And I want a quick answer from you, Jared. One word. What is the, what is the lowest amount of money I can pay you? To take a charge against Zion. Fourteen million. Okay, no, I'd I'd rather he just scored a couple <laughs> baskets. Okay. Celtics one twelve, Nuggets ninety-nine. Jokic was phenomenal in this one with forty-three points. Murray poured in twenty-five points, but the rest of the Nuggets only combined for seventeen made field goals. Not very conducive to a win. The Celtics on their end. Jalen Brown had 27 points. Jason Tatum had 21 points. And Kemba Walker with 17. Hey, Jared, this is your beat. So very quickly, you got anything to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, after the Celtics had their worst loss of the year and everybody was talking about rock bottom after the Wizards just humiliated them, this was an important win because, I mean, Denver was missing most of their bench, but Jokic and Murray were still out there and they were able to keep the bleeding kind of contained to those two guys and shut down the rest of the unit while on offense, they were crisscrossing the court beautifully. They were moving the ball. They were getting wide open shooters pretty easily and they actually had a coherent offense, which is something that that team has really been struggling with so far. Blazers 115 Thunder, the Andrew Schleck Thunder 
104 in Oklahoma City, which I think Andrew Schleck owns that city. No Shea Gilgis Alexander for the Thunder again in this one. Lillard put up 31 points, 10 rebounds, and his canter had 21 rebounds. He had 8 points. I don't even care about that. He had 21 rebounds, 14 defensive, 7 offensive. I'm just blown away by how many rebounds Ennis Cantor had. I don't know if anybody else cares, but I seem to care quite a bit about that. Lou Dort led the Thunder with 23 points. I mean, listen, as we know uh, of Andrew Schlecht from the Andrew Schlecht uh, Thunder, as he is known legally, uh, this is Lou Dort's uh, biggest supporter, the man that has always believed that Lou Dort could turn into the greatest player in the NBA. And we saw that in this game. Lou Dort is a legend. And uh, I don't understand how he continues to keep being this good. <laughs> That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show. Definitely check out Nerdish She Wrote on Fridays because that's the show I'm on. No Dunks and House of Strauss, plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. Don't forget to follow up on the app to get notifications for new episodes and utilize the podcast episode comment section. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck, folks. You can get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing across all major sports, all at a super low price. Don't miss out on any of Jared's stuff about the Celtics. Get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily ding. You never know when these promos are going to end, so get there soon. Thanks for waking up with us, folks. Be safe when you go outside. Remember to wear a mask. And Jared, take us home. Ding, ding, dong. Ding, 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 dong. 